When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, whenever he flips a werewolf in Midnight Hunt, he says to himself, nighttime, daytime, it's Matt Morgan. Now I just, I want to let all those modern day cattle ropers and wranglers and thieves know that I have a pretty big beef with them. (laughs) All right, Matt. It's personal, but it is a pretty big beef. Yeah. I, I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down. Well done. Up next, he's thinking of building that new Grixis curse commander. That way he can tell me, no, listen, Linda, listen, listen, Linda. No, Linda, listen. That's Dana Roach. Um, why does Soren Markov not have any friends? Dana, I have no idea. Is it because he's stuck in stone somewhere? Because he's such a pain in the neck, Joey. Oh, if, come if, on. If, if you think back about it, his relationship with Nahiri was pretty rocky. Um, things with Avison <laughs> disintegrated very, very quickly. And, you know, he's never going to realize it's, it's his own fault because he's incapable of self-reflection. Dang, Matt, Dana's coming for your that dad was, joke. That bro. was rapid fire. That was more than I gave Dana credit for. So bravo. Well, thank that, you. It only took that, you since Commander 2017 to come up with those. Right. <laughs> I've been working on that little bit for years. That was epic. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Matt, what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode? So we're going to talk about the commanders that have changed the most as far as what cards are in the 99 over the past few years. Indeed. I'm really looking forward to this episode to see which commanders have evolved the most over time. How unrecognizable are their decks? It should be really, really interesting to go over and see which commanders have changed. Real quick, before we get to our main topic, let's pause and thank the folks at the Command Zone. They handle the post-production work on our podcast, making it look as awesome and spiffy as it does. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the show as well. Yeah, the EDH Redcast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and a TCG player, two online retailers so powerful that they tutor up lands when they come into play and let you cast <laughs> the top three cards of your library for free. Just, oh, no. just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question and to choose the vendor link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. We have patron-exclusive content coming out every single month. So make sure you head over to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast to support the show. We even have a very special tier where we shout out just a patron just for joining and supporting us because we definitely appreciate the support. So this week, we want to give a very special shout out to Carolyn Peak. So Carolyn, thank you so much for the support. It definitely means the world to us. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Okay, fellas, let's get into our main topic here. We are talking about the most changed commanders. And the way that we're going to measure this is with our pretty traditional two-year cutoff here. Ideatrack measures all of the data for commanders that have been built or the decks have been updated within the past two years. And that is how we want to shape this show as well. As much as we would like to go over commander data from all time, If we were to try and frame an episode around the all-time data, we'd be talking about over 100 commanders that have changed quite a lot. I mean, commanders, new cards, we're always updating our decks, but this is one that we want to limit to that two-year scope so that we can get some more precise and exact data. Well, and with that said, we also need to make a disclaimer that we're only going to talk about commanders that are at least two years old. You know, commanders that have just come out in the past year, those are constantly changing and evolving because there are sets that are built to support them that come out a couple months later. Um, So those, those, those decks, those commanders, they're always changing. They're going to be, you know, at the top of the charts, dang near every time we would run this report. So instead, we're going to focus specifically on commanders that are at least two years old. That way they've had time to kind of settle in a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. We're also not going to discuss commanders with fewer than 200 decks. Um, we just need to have a certain amount of decks to really measure the changes. A lot of times we do a cutoff at 100 decks, but it's just not quite enough to get kind of a swing in terms of um, just seeing how many changes have actually occurred and have it really kind of mm-hmm. stand out and be striking. Yeah, if the commander didn't have a hundred decks two years ago, it's hard to really measure that change. So that is why we're moving up that cutoff as well. Dana, do you want to get us into it? Let's start with our number 10. What is our number 10 most changed commander in EDH? Our uh, number 10 most changed commander in EDH is Tenob the Harvester. Um, 283 decks. There's 68 cards in Tenob decks um, that have remained constant over the years. And Tenob's a relatively old commander at this point from way back in Planar Chaos. And for those who don't remember, it's a six mana a dragon in Obzan colors. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you can spend two in a black. And if you do, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Not just yours, from just any graveyard. This is the kind of thing that Joey likes to see. It's a reanimator dragon. That's really, really awesome. I really like this commander. And Dana, as you mentioned, 68 cards that appeared in its average deck two years ago are still in its average deck today, which is a lot, I think, but that is still, I don't know, it kind of gives us an idea of how much decks change over the years if this is our number 10. And of course, I mean, when it comes to some of the cards that you want to be reanimating, cards that have stayed around in this deck forever, like Eternal Witness or Buried Alive or Matt, one of your favorites, Reclamation Sage, I mean, there's kind of no reason to change those out. So those cards have definitely stayed really, really constant for Teneb. I mean, those are also just extremely powerful cards, almost regardless of whatever strategy you're running, but they are kind of the the reanimator go-tos for a lot of those. Uh, So it makes sense why those are sticking around, because they're staying in every reanimator deck. If you're playing some sort of graveyard interaction, um, you're playing those just no matter what the commander is. I, I think this is a, a good example of a commander where it's doing a thing that tends to constantly pop up in sets. Um, you know, there are some mechanics or, or interactions that we just don't see very often outside of the real specific set where they print that thing. Um, something like, say, Madness, for example. And I, I think we'll, we'll at some point have a conversation about that. But reanimation, putting things in your graveyard, takes a whole bunch of different forms and comes up very, very frequently, if not in almost every set, even as a one or two off. There's just always cards that support the strategy that are showing up um, in brand new versions. So there's just a lot of fodder for this kind of thing for for you to have potential to make changes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just think that it shouldn't be just in, you know, a one or two off in every set. I think it should be just in every set for it should be the main theme of every set reanimation is just absolutely the best and there's so many great things that you can revive like a terastodon like that's another constant for teneb too but there have been quite a lot of evolutions that teneb wanted to rid itself of for example two years ago the average teneb deck was still playing stuff like dark steel ingot or one of its reanimation targets was zetelpa which has been reprinted in so many precon decks but it is the kind of thing that it seems we've all outgrown and instead nowadays the landscape of a teneb deck looks a little bit different instead we're playing cards like Sir Conrad, which I love to see, or Eerie Ultimatum, which came out in Ikoria. That is a huge boost for Teneb, and a bunch of Teneb decks are now using it, and that has given the deck a whole new type of life. Or unlife? Undead life? I should just stop. Well, in you know, pointing out Eerie Ultimatum brings up another point about this particular commander. It has three colors. That's just three times as many potential cards to wind up in the deck as if it was a monocolor deck. There's just more opportunities for more new cards to show up or for you to find old cards that work in this deck versus something that you know had less potential colors. Well, it's funny looking at the cards that have worked their way into the deck that were actually just they're just as old, if not you know fairly older. Um, but you have cards like Sepulchral Primordial or Ashen Rider who aren't quite as old as as Teneb. But they've been around for a long time, well outside the window that we're looking at. Um, so sometimes just the targets that people tend to look at, um, maybe they weren't really considering until they kind of learned and, and explored the deck a little bit more. And I think explored the format. The Primordials are just a super powerful cycle of cards from, I believe it was uh, the, the Return to Ravnica block. Mm-hmm. And man, they're so great, but people just didn't realize the the each opponent clause in there was so powerful. But 
I mean, Cyclonic Rift also was undersold when it was first printed too. So <laughs> that that is true. I remember the days of three dollars Cyclonic Rift. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's that's so true because these cards were around two years ago, but Teneb decks weren't using them, and now those cards have been a lot more popular in recent Teneb decks. So it's very interesting to see the evolutions don't just occur because of brand new cards, but also because our understanding of Commander has evolved, and we're going back to some old cards that could work really, really well in that deck too, like the ones you mentioned. So yeah, that's also very fascinating. All right, well, let's move on to number nine, which number nine, we actually have a three-way tie. Um, so we're, we're looking at two Golgari commanders and a five-color commander. So all of these commanders have 67 cards that have kind of stuck around um, and the rest have been changed over over the course of time. So we're looking at Varol's the Scar Striped, which is the, the Golgari Scavenge commander. Um, it's 2-2 two, two that has each card in your graveyard has Scavenge, and the Scavenge cost is equal to its mana cost, where that's the... Uh, ability where you can pay the the scavenge cost and exile a creature card from your graveyard and you put a bunch of plus one plus one counters equal to the card's power onto a creature that's already on the battlefield. Also tied with Varol's is Farika God of Affliction, which is the Golgari god from the original Theros block. Um, It has the typical god clause of being indestructible and needing devotion of seven um, in black or green, or black and green, I should say, in order to become a creature, but it has the ability to pay a black and a green, and you can exile target creature card from a graveyard, and its owner gets to put a 1-1 black and green snake enchantment creature token with death touch onto the battlefield. Um, And then also, Tied here, that, that three-way tie that we have with 67 cards consistently in the deck is Corona the False God, which was one of the original, I want to say, uh, five-color legendary creatures. A 5-5 five, five from Scourge, um, I want to say. Uh, and it has haste and reads, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player untaps Corona False God and gains control of it. And then whenever Corona attacks, creatures of the type of your choice get plus three, plus three until end of turn. And I have ran out of words to say because all three of those are super wordy. Um, so why don't you guys take it from here and looking at what has changed in the deck? Yeah, these are absolutely fascinating. Starting off with Varal's, I guess, like there are certainly cards that Varal's is going to want to keep around. Like Death's Shadow, for example, is a one mana 13-13. It has a minus ability when it's in play, but if it's just in the graveyard, Varal's is happy to just pay one mana to get 13 plus one counters on something. That's totally the type of thing that Varal's is going to keep around. But it's also going to keep up with the times a little bit as new cards like the Ozolith come out so that we can put those counters into a bunch of other places and always maintain them. Or some new huge creatures like the uh, Damagoth Titan in Strixhaven. So there have been some new toys for Varel's that have caused him to keep up with the times and just get even bigger and bigger and scavenge even more delightful creatures. Yeah, you know, two cover commander here. Um, so there's still, you know, choices, not a ton, but more than a monocolor deck. Um and you're, it, it's a deck that cares about graveyard things in colors that are just constantly adding more graveyard cards. Um, it totally makes sense that this is a, a commander that sees a lot of turnover for sure. Well, and we also see that one of the cards that Varals used to be playing two years ago was Whisper Silk Cloak. And I'm really glad that that's no longer in the average deck data because Whisper Silk Cloak would prevent Varals from being able to put plus one counters on himself. So that's a non-bow that I'm glad is no longer here. Well, and the, the deck in general just seems to have gotten a little more streamlined. They took out some just real lukewarm cards like Deathcap Cultivator, which is just kind of a a weird, awkward mana dork. Um, I'm surprised Ravaging Rift Worm got cut, but um, the cards that it's putting in there are just so much better at support cards. And really, you don't need every single creature in that deck to be getting scavenged for a lot of plus one plus one counters for very minimal investment. Well, and then there is, again, with that tie, there's Farika here that we should address too. And this has kind of maintained itself as an Enchantress deck over the years. So it's consistently still playing cards like Eidolon of Blossoms and Doomwake Giant to, you know, it makes enchantment creature tokens technically. So you're able to get a couple of those constellation effects more consistently. But it has also updated itself too. It's no longer tethered to cards like Creeping Renaissance. Now it's instead more interested in like Satessin Champion. Even more new enchantment cards have come out since Theros Beyond Death that Freak has been able to update itself with. And there's actually also a bit more poison stuff going on, like the new Finn the Fangbearer. Since those tokens have death touch, there are even new win conditions for this commander. So it's kind of nice to see these evolutions. Now, I would say Freaka feels a little bit more like an outlier to me than the ones we've looked at. I, I, I would guess part of the reason this is showing up is like you mentioned, Joey, we had a few things to deal with poison in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. but we also had a Theros block that did give us enchantment creatures, excuse me, a Theros set that gave us enchantment creatures. 
I would bet normally Farika decks don't see this much turnover. Yeah. We just happen to be looking at a window where a couple of things happened that, that worked well to provide upgrades for Farika decks. That makes sense. And thankfully, we've got a tie, so there's even one more commander to talk about here. And we probably had a similar thing here with Corona False God, where Corona for a long time tended to serve as people's commander when they wanted to run like a god tribal commander. And fairly recently, we've gotten another option to, to use for that that maybe works a little bit better. And as a result, we see things like all the Theros gods basically being removed from a lot of Corona decks. So I think this was a case where the entire deck for a lot of people swung to something else because it just became a different deck, basically. Yeah, well, it, and people kind of realized that maybe Corona wasn't the best for a god tribal deck. We've gotten other different... Uh, God tribal support cards, call time especially, was really good for that. So I think a lot of folks shifted over from Corona and were playing some new commanders just for that theme deck. So instead, we're looking at more of like the impetus cycle and, and different kind of cards that benefit from Corona going to somebody else and dealing a lot of damage, but you're also not able to get attacked by Corona as Corona is being passed around the table. So it's kind of turned into like a weird Voltron-ish kind of commander, um, which is very interesting. Um, Considering, yeah, it's, it's something that just goes around the table and is always attacking, but it's never attacking you. Yeah, very much. That like I think you're referring to Essica, Dana, the new yes. five color commander that would like just cheat a bunch of stuff into play, and that is a much more standout home for gods these days. And now we've got a bit more like Corona is going to come into its own and actually mess with combat a bit more with the vow of cards and also those impetuses, and even the new Karazikar card is showing up in Corona decks a lot recently. So this is a a kind of thing where it feels like Corona has been freed of obligation, where God Tribal maybe wasn't the perfect fit, but there can be more combat manipulation that it's able to explore, which is a pretty funny thing to see. I just like noticing these evolutions because sometimes it feels like the commander has finally grown up a little bit, despite the fact that it's a commander that's probably older than me. Yes, seeing the evolution of some of these is fairly interesting. And, and I'm wondering if we're not seeing some of that here at, at our number eight commander, um, a Togatog, -a -tog, 222 decks with 66 cards remaining constant. And Atog, Atog is a um, five color commander where you sacrifice Atogs, essentially. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's kind of an uncard almost. That's not an uncard to a degree. And what we had here that made a big shift was Kaldheim gave us new changelings, which are functionally Atogs um, as far as a deck is concerned about. So it just got an influx of new cards that we generally don't see. This one is so weird. This was not a thing that I expected to see because it's technically a five-color tribal deck. And when it comes to a tribal deck, you'd expect things to be pretty consistent. But since this one is so obscure, you're right. Those new Kaldheim changelings have just thrown this deck for a loop. So the deck is still containing all of those weird things like Lithotog and Psychotog. But now it's also adding in like... Realm Walker or Masked Vandal and the new Maskwood Nexus from Kaldheim is making a big splash because now all of your creatures are Atogs, so Atog Atog can sacrifice whatever it wants to pump itself up. This is really, really strange to see. I kind of love it though. Matt, are there any cards that stand out to you across all of this new Atog Atog data? Um, well, it is playing a card that I absolutely love and I'm glad it's finally catching on in, in non- Voltron decks, but um, Chandra's Ignition, just one of my favorite win conditions are just ways to blow up so many things, um, especially if you're not going to lose anything yourself because you're sacrificing it all to a Tog a Tog. Um, mm. An Enchanted Evening, that, that's kind of a weird one to be putting in there, but it is nice and it, it is nice to see too on cards that are getting removed. Um, it's streamlining the mana base, it looks like. They're losing a lot of the, kind of the, the vivid lands, uh, some of them maybe the more budget options and, and updating to other budget options that have come out recently that are just better than the vivid lands war back in the day. The land cycle thing also really jumps out at me. I agreed there, Matt. We added the triumph cycle basically over the course of this two-year window, which are lands that make three of the five colors you need, and they're fetchable if you are running fetch lands in this kind of deck. So they are really kind of a perfect way to fix the mana in a deck that needs it more so than some of these five-color commanders we've got recently where you don't need five colors to cast them. You do with the Taga Tog. So like triumphs are just that much more valuable here and and we really see these pop up as cards that have swapped out in this deck as well, along with the changelings. 
Well, and Matt, I really want to jump back to, you mentioned it was kind of funky to see cards like Chandra's Ignition finally getting play for this deck, which it probably should have been before, but it's really awesome now that this commander can pump itself up so much. But the Enchanted Evening that you mentioned was kind of quirky. I think that's actually perfect because there are some of the Atogs, like the Thaumatog I mentioned earlier, that can sacrifice an enchantment to buff itself up. And then you can sacrifice the Thaumatog to the Atogatog so that then it will get bigger and bigger and bigger. So it feels like the deck is going even more all in by turning all of your permanents into enchantments with Enchanted Evening so that you can buff, 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 buff hugely with some of these things. The deck is finding synergies that, honestly, I just kind of like thought, Ataka Talk, eh, you know, it's whatever. It's just kind of a meme deck. But like that synergy actually sounds super duper powerful. Speaking of really, really old commanders here, what is next on our list here, Joey? <laughs> Up next at number seven, we've got a also pretty big beastie. This is Dakon Blackblade, the Esper commander who costs six mana and has power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control. If we've seen cards like Blackblade Reforged for example, which has a similar ability, this is the type of thing that it's inspired by. There are 65 cards that have been consistently in Dakon decks throughout the years, but there have been some really interesting updates that have happened in the past couple, in the past year or so as well. You know, we're keeping some of those things that help these colors, which aren't usually known for landfall. We're, we're keeping around the cards that help us find more lands, like Core Cartographer effects, for example, or Dreamscape Artist, which a lot of players really, really enjoy to find even more lands, even in unusual colors. But we've also updated this deck with some really, really spicy cards, too, in recent years. Yeah, I mean, this is another example of a mechanic that just tends to get revisited a lot. In general, you know, things interacting with lands pops up in, in a lot of sets. And once again, we hit a Zendikar set during this two-year window where that's a main <laughs> portion of what Zendikar is known for is doing landfall synergy. So it's something that just gets revisited plenty, although not necessarily in these colors that heavily. But then we hit a set where that kind of thing crops up a lot too. So just a little bit of a perfect storm for deck on Blackblade decks. In addition to just getting a new deck on Blackblade, um, to just kind of be back in the general consciousness and to just get a bunch of new options. Yes, because there's that new Dakon Shadow Slayer, the Planeswalker from Modern Horizons 2. So that definitely would have had a lot to do for reinvigorating interest. Well, and as white, especially, has, has started to get more ways to find lands and, and keep parity, at least, with a lot of different colors, um, Dakon Blackblade has, has really benefited from that. Um, Archaeomancer's map is one of the, the best cards, I think, in the past year or two uh, that has helped do that. Um, Stoic Farmer isn't too bad either. Sword of Hearth and Home. Um, all are great ways for white decks to be able to get lands or at least keep up with those. So Dakon Blackblade naturally you know, benefits from those as well. Mm, very nice. Are there any interesting standouts from the cards that Dakon's no longer running in the deck? Um, I, I think one that jumps out at me that we can kind of double up on because something similar happened back in the Ataga Tog deck is Vindicate is on a cards removed um, list. And we saw Utter End show up similarly up in Ataga Tog. Um, part of the thing there, I think, is Black and white removal has just got a lot of new entries in the last couple of years. You know, whether it's things like Generous Gift um, in in Mono White or Fracture or D-Spark in, in Black White. Uh, there's just been a lot of new things added um, in the Orzov color pair that make you want to reconsider running Vindicate or make you want to reconsider running running on Utter End. So I think that's part of the turnover we see with those cards for sure. Yeah, these are kind of interesting, just like general upgrades rather than a commander specific upgrade. I think we even saw with the Taga Tog that one of the cards that it's no longer playing in its deck is uh, Explosive Vegetation. Like we just, th these are just, it feels to me like evidences of power creep that have caused change rather than new specific synergies for the commanders that have caused change, which is a, a nerve wracking thing to see, I think, especially for those of us who've been playing EDH for a long time and I don't know. I feel like sometimes I've even been able to forget about the old days when Vindicate was like such a staple, but now it doesn't see nearly as much play. It's just a very strange experience when you start having those back in my day uh, sort of thoughts in your head. Dana, I'm sure you can commiserate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, when people talk about power creep, they tend to think of like a questing beast kind of card that just looks ridiculous because it has 112 words in the text box. But a lot of times what the form that takes is something being just slightly better than Utter End or a new land cycle that's just a little bit better than the Vivid Lands while also being cheap. Like a lot of these, these cards we're seeing removed 
aren't necessarily giant bombs. They're just those kind of playable cards that are getting edged out by slightly better versions of those playable cards. Very, very much. Interesting stuff going on here. We've talked about some multicolored commanders and commanders, just a whole bunch of colors. But now, um, Dana, let's flip the script a little bit. Who's coming in at number six? Um, we have the opposite of a talk talk. We have Emrakul, <laughs> the promised end um, colorless commander in 258 total decks in our list here with only 64 cards constant when we look at uh, what has remained and what has flipped out over the course of the last two years. For, for Constance, we're seeing a lot of you know, really useful cards in a colorless Eldrazi deck, things like Eldrazi Temple, things like Kozilek the Great Distortion, another Eldrazi Titan that's an absolute beater. A lot of the really super scary colorless creatures, you know, the Oblivion Sowers and the Void Winnowers of the world. Mm. Um, or the, the colorless spells of which there aren't very many, things like Warping Whale or Scar from Existence, because you just don't have a lot of colorless options for for removal, things of that nature. So the things that are a constant completely make sense. Um, when you're looking at new cards, though, you know, if you think about it, you don't get colorless Eldrazi stuff that frequently, but we just get artifacts constantly, literally in every set. And that's mostly what we're seeing here as just good, new, useful artifacts that are popping up that can be put in your uh, Emrakul deck. Well, and you don't really see things that benefit colorless specifically um, themes either. So like Forsaken Monument is definitely one that I think all colorless decks around the world rejoiced about seeing. Um, you also have cards like Wandering Archaic because that card needed to be printed um, <laughs> where you're able to basically just get your own copies of all the spells that your your friends are playing unless they pay the, the, the Wandering Archaic tax on there. Like there's some really powerful colorless spells that have come out that yeah, Dana, like you said, like you may not be getting them very often, but when you do, they're pretty dang powerful. It's so interesting to see these. I did not think that Embercool, it's a colorless deck. I would expect it to kind of stay stagnant, but no, we've gotten even new equipment that Embercool is like, yes, please, because Commander's played that equipment from Commander Legends that gives your uh, equipped creature protection from each color that isn't in your Commander's color identity. Well, you, now in a colorless deck, that's just protection from all of the colors. So there's still really crazy new toys that we've gotten, even for a deck that I would expect this lack of color combination to stay pretty stable. But instead, it's like, no, I'm evolving with the times. I'm an Eldrazi. You cannot stop me. Yeah, and, and even old things that hadn't been played previously, stuff like Not of This World all of a sudden showing up. Um, and I'm wondering if that isn't a situation where everyone realized how ridiculously strong that that free cycle of things that you can cast for no cost when your commander is out from a few years back, made people aware of how amazing that is. So we see things like Not of This World showing up that probably should have been in the deck all along, but I think, I wonder if folks didn't just start looking for that kind of thing and realized how good it would be here. Well, and when you look at the cards that are getting taken out of the deck too, you're seeing cards that maybe just weren't really that good to begin with and maybe should have been taken out. So like Metalwork Colossus, yes, it's a big colorless beater, but like, there, I don't know how much they were really worrying about the, the artifact synergies there. And Myriad Landscape got dropped because, well, I mean, Wastes don't have a basic land type. So when you're pulling those out, um, Myriad Landscape isn't really that useful anymore. Um, that's probably because people finally adapted to having Wastes around as a resource because that's been introduced in the past few years. Um, so being able to swap over to Wastes uh, in your colorless deck is, is probably a move that a lot of people were doing. Then finally realized later, uh, Myriad Landscape is a non-bow. Let's, let's take this out. Oh, yeah. Mirror and Landscape, I think, was a challenge. The stats of yours a couple of episodes back. I say a couple. It was probably like 50 episodes back because Mirror and Landscape can crack to go and search for two lands that share a basic land type, but wastes don't have a basic land type, so it can't actually find wastes for you. So it's just a tapped land. So that's another non-bode that it's nice to see these decks are updating themselves out of. There's a lot of evolution going on here, even though it's a colorless deck. And frankly, I think that's pretty darn cool. We've got five more most changed commanders to go but before we get to our top five let's pause and do one of our favorite segments here on the podcast guys let's challenge some stats there's so much data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it sometimes we think the cards see too much or too little play so we'd like to challenge those statistics and don't forget the official sponsor of the challenge of stats segment um, altersleeves.com where you can head over to altersleeves.com slash edh recast 
and just get all the alter sleeves that you want. So maybe you want to play around with some different arts on your sleeves, on your well, on your cards, I should say, um, but you don't want to have somebody actually drawing on those cards. Maybe it's something a little more pricey, you wanna play around with it. Alter sleeves are just a great way to experiment with that. Have some, some special blinged out art. It's just super great. You even have EDH Rec exclusive sleeves. So make sure you can head over there um, and get you know our wonderful faces on your cards. Um, so altersleeves.com slash EDH Retcast um, sponsoring challenges that's very much all right guys i'm actually going to start us off with this challenge this week i'm looking here at ave progenitor ooze the storm commander from modern horizons 2 the five mana 2-2 legendary ooze it has storm so when you cast it it copies itself for each other spell that you've cast that turn already it isn't legendary if it's a token so you get to keep all of those copies of itself that it creates on the stack and as it enters the battlefield it gets plus one counters for each other ooze you control so each one of these gets progressively bigger and bigger this is a very fascinating card to see there's a lot of strange mono green storm stuff that you can do but the important point for me is that ave the token copies keep those three green mana symbols on them which means if you care about your devotion to green then that is going to be very very good such as a card like clothis's design it's a six mana sorcery that says creatures you control get plus x plus x until end of turn where x is your devotion to green this is not usually a good card for just any mono green deck but when all of those copies of ave provide three green pips if you've got even just like four total copies copies of Ave on the battlefield, this one spell is giving your stuff a minimum of plus 12 plus 12. This is a very strange and in this deck very scary pump effect that I think should be seeing way more play than the currently basically no Ave decks that are using it. It doesn't appear on Ave's EDH rec page and I think that's a big mistake. Check this one out if you're playing Mono Green Storm. That sounds like something I don't want to deal with, Joey. <laughs> Glad to hear it. What's your challenge this week? My challenge comes to us from a listener at Cure for the Common Game, who you can find on Twitter at Cure underscore game and the suggestion brought to us is blood artist which is currently showing up in 62 percent of gisa glorious resurrector decks uh, blood artist is a, a zero one for two mana whenever blood artist or another creature dies target player loses a life and you gain a life which is really fantastic in a lot of aristocrat style decks the problem is uh, the way Gisa is worded, if a creature an opponent controls would dial, you exile it instead. So functionally, you're only getting a quarter of the effect of Blood Artist running in a Gisa deck. Um, now, maybe if your deck is really built around sacrificing your own stuff in particular, and you're going to be rolling a lot of creatures in and out of your graveyard, reassembling skeletons or your blood gas or what have you, then maybe you don't care if you're losing out on the ability to get um, triggers from the other three people. But I think you should be really sure of that and remember that this isn't <laughs> a, a, a typical aristocrat style commander where you are going to get those triggers off everything because Geese is going to shut down three out of four of the players from actually taking damage or, or, or triggering the blood artist. Right. At that point, just use the stuff that already only cares about your own stuff dying like the Zulaport Cutthroats, those are still great. But the, the Blood Artist, there's a weird nonbo there that's happening. So that's a, a clever pick. Well, if you guys want to talk about clever, Modern Horizons 2 was just jam-packed with heaters all around. There were tons of just insanely powerful cards. And I think there's one that I, a lot of people are missing out on that I've had good luck with. I know, Joey, you've had good luck with. And it's, it's such a fun card and just potentially wildly powerful card and that card is rise and shine so oh. rise and shine is showing up in under a thousand decks right now which just seems absolutely silly to me um, so rise and shine is a blue sorcery for one and a blue and target non-creature artifacts you control becomes a zero zero artifact creature uh, and then you put four plus one plus one counters on each artifact that became a creature this way that's fine you basically animate uh, an artifact for two mana but there's an overload um, alternate cost on this, which is absolutely insane. So for four in blue, blue, you can turn all of your non-creature artifacts into artifact creatures um, with four plus one plus one counters on them. And it is wildly powerful. I, I love it. It's so good, especially these days you have tokens of all sorts running around. You have uh, your food, your treasures, all your different clues, whatever you, whatever tokens that you're making, um, those all get animated. So you can make an army in a can super quickly just with this one spell. You're able to overrun 
all your opponents. So you have stuff like Brea, who has a lot of utility artifacts. You have all sorts of different commanders that just depend on having artifacts on the battlefield. Well, you're able to animate them in mass, turn them all sideways and win the game. I love this card. It's so good. I, I just think so many people are sleeping on this card. So check out Rise and Shine, folks. It's wonderful. Well, and the beauty of that card is a lot of times in the past, those effects like March of the Machines or Karn Silver Golem animated the artifacts with a power and toughness equal to whatever their CMC was. So your treasure tokens were just going to go away or your Everflowing Chalice was going away. In this case, everything is going to survive and those, you know, soul rings are going to be four force too. Like it's just a much better version of this effect we've had in the past that was pretty decent and plenty of decks to begin with. So yeah, this is a great pick, Matt. This card is really strong. That is fascinating. And especially that new Eloise Nefalia Sleuth, the Demir human rogue that investigates for you whenever uh, one of your creatures dies. That's going to be making so many tokens for you. Rise and Shine is a perfect thing for it there. Although I think also, maybe this is a bonus challenge, but March of the Machines can also be really nasty in an Eloise deck too. Because Dana, for example, your challenge on the Blood Artist, I think that'd be very good for an Eloise deck. Because if you play March of the Machines, your clue tokens turn into zero zeros that automatically die. And then when a creature dies, Eloise will investigate and create you a clue token, which will automatically die. And that's not a May ability. It just keeps happening and happening. But if you've got that Blood Artist, infinite combo town. There you go. All right, that is awesome. Let's get back into our main topic. Now, we are talking about the most changed commanders, and we're into our top five. Dana, I'm going to pass it off to you. What is our top five most changed commander? Um, our top five most changed commander is Thraxamundar from way back in the Olara block. 657 decks with 59 constant cards. He's a 6-6 with haste, uh, and whenever he attacks, defending player sacrifices a creature, and whenever a player sacrifices a creature, you may put a plus one counter on Thraxamundar. Um, I played a lot of games against the Thrax. I had a friend who had a Thrax zombie deck. He is an absolute beast to come tearing in at you. <laughs> and if you happen to want to play zombie tribal in this color combination, he's a really solid commander. Um, and there's just not a ton of options in these color combinations. So we get zombies constantly. It's kind of a unique commander in this color pair. And it's just a perfect mix for seeing a lot of turnover in the deck's construction. Yeah, this is a commander that I remember from back when I first started playing EDH. You've got cards like Rooftop Storm, which make all of your zombies free, which you love to see in a deck like this. And you've got plenty of other things that cause uh, or have synergies with Sacrifice, like Mayhem Devil, which are sticking around too. But the deck has certainly updated. It's no longer playing those old cards like Croesus's Charm that used to be all up in the deck. Instead, we've got new stuff like, I mean, you're making people sacrifice things. So Turgrid is showing up in Thraxamundar deck these days or jury master of the review since you're making so many sacrifices happen so this deck has definitely moved into a brand new sacrifice centric focus what well, i really like just kind of those incremental and small little you know high floor low ceiling type of cards uh like village rights they're just nice little mm. upgrades for the deck like i'm glad that people are looking for those types of upgrades in old thraxamundar decks as well um, but it is also nice to see like Butcher Malak here. We're really lukewarm on that card. Um, it's a great budget option, but if you're trying to kind of tune up a little bit, um, Butcher Malak here just kind of been dated a little bit maybe. Um, and it the betrays actually. That's one. I'm surprised people take that out because that's basically just another Turgrid type of effect. Yeah, those cards have been removed from that Thrax decks over time. I have to assume it's just like the commander's already a lot of mana, so these 7 and 12 mana cards aren't able to stick in the deck maybe? Yeah, that would, that would make sense. I think that's a, a good theory. Yeah, indeed. The number four commander that we're now going to dive into, this is a pun, folks don't know it yet, uh, we're talking about Sig River Cutthroat. So Merfolk, dive. Matt, are you proud of me? The answer is no. Uh, so Sig, River Cutthroat, is our number four commander here. He's got about 560, 550 decks to his name right now. This is the blue-black, uh, blue-black, that hybrid mana, Merfolk Rogue 1-3. At the beginning of each end step, if an opponent lost three or more life this turn, you may draw a card. This is a very curious commander to see that 56 cards that were in the average deck two years ago have stayed in the average deck of today, which that number is just getting lower and lower and lower lower what matt could have possibly happened to change up what sig used to be doing to what he's doing now well i know last fall we got uh, zendikar rising which would featured the party mechanic pretty heavily um, which means there were a lot of rogues floating around so that definitely was a kind of an in injection of new cards into sig decks because rogues tend to be hard to block 
Sig likes creatures that are hard to block. So um, lots of rogues made their way into it. Uh, Zareth San, for example, uh, Thieving Skydiver, two really, really powerful rogues that fit right into Sig River uh, Sig River Cutthroat, excuse me, type of decks. Um, those were just very welcome additions. But then you also had stuff like Ghostly Pilferer, um, Douthy Voidwalker, other ones, just creatures that are just hard to block in general. Yeah, uh, this has become a, a, over the years, it was always like a rogue tribal commander, even before Zendikar introduced like other rogue tribal commanders, like the new Anawan, for instance. But like, it still wanted all of those brand new rogues when they came out. I mean, heck, Opposition Agent is a card that this commander also got access to, which is a rogue in addition to being a, a, a real menace on the battlefield. So this deck has certainly updated, and it feels like it's just gotten even more cutthroat over time. And when you look at the cards removed list here, things like Demir Cut Purse or Jessian Thief or Scroll Thief, it, they're basically cards that someone probably pulled out from their deck to put in the slightly better rogue. Like this was just cards that were being taken out for upgrades for the most part. Yeah, these are really, really fun to see. It, it's it's nice to see that this isn't a commander that lost its identity. It just improved its identity in a way that still makes me, you know, a little bit scared. All right, Matt, we're in the top three now. So how about you take us to number three? What do we got? So at number three, we have Balin Wandering Knight um, as one of the, or I should say, the number three most changed commander over the past couple of years, uh, 305 decks. And there are only 54 cards that have remained consistent uh, along the deck's evolution. So Balin Wandering Knight is the Cat Knight. Um, it's a 3-3 for two in white-white, uh, has first strike, and Balin Wandering Knight has double strike as long as two or more equipment are attached to it. And then you can pay one in a white to attach all equipment you control onto Balin. Um, so we used to see, well, the typical deck, it plays very much like an equipment Voltron. You have the go-tos, the standbys, you know, your your Pure Steel Paladins, Sigarda's Aid, just those staple type of cards in this type of deck. But since Watsi has decided that they really, really like the Boros uh, equipment themes for all of their <laughs> sets lately, and Balin falling into that color combination, naturally Balin has gotten a lot of support over the past couple of years. Four sets, like nearly four sets in a row out of this year were like the Boros limited equipment draft archetype is here again it's just like our, boris is always doing equipment they're, they're just they're just honing it like a nice sharp sword i guess but it did start to feel a little bit like that's right the square hole very much when it came to like what's boros's new draft archetype going to be just kind of hit that over and over again but that does mean that commanders like this have gotten a whole bunch of upgrades so now it's not just you know wielding those argentum armors anymore it's also wielding colossus hammers it's also got new sword of hearth and home or sword of sinew in the steel or halvar god of battle so there's a lot of updates that this commander has been able to make yeah a, a lot of new absolute bomb pieces of equipment put into here too things like shadow spear or colossus hammer cards that are good enough to see play in eternal formats um absolutely are showing up here if a, if a card can see play and win modern tournaments it's probably good enough to show up in your balan deck and you're seeing things like that or commander's plate that joey talked about under the emrakul deck um it's not as good here but it's still going to give you protection from four of the five colors which is pretty okay that that seems acceptable i mean i guess it's it seems all right makes your voltron commander basically impossible to block that, that, it's 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 all right it's fine it's okay. And Esper Sentinel, hey, because you need to draw cards in white, and that's one of the ways. Yeah, well, and, and the cards that people were cutting, a couple of them were just like, why why would, why would was this in the deck to begin with? Like, Zatalpa. <laughs> um, again? We talked about that earlier. Yeah, Zatalpa's back. Back oh, again. Man. Tell a friend. Um, <laughs> but you also have, like, Angel of Condemnation, which was kind of also why. Uh, but then, like, Forebear's Blade, like... Sooner or later, like you're gonna you're gonna have to start cutting very good equipment in like Forebear's Blade, Ogre's Cleaver. Like those were some that did get cut from Balin, even though they're just they're totally fine cards. But eventually, when you're given so many powerful, you know, red white equipment, um, just the mono white decks, even they're gonna be so crowded, they're gonna have to start making some difficult cuts when it comes to the equipment they're playing. Well, you know, if we're talking about all of these equipments and knives and stuff, if you want to talk really about honing anything. 
I think that the best example is probably here in our number two commander, which is Teferi Temporal Archmage. There are currently 379 decks for Teferi, according to EDHREC, and there are 52 cards that have been consistently in Teferi decks across the past two years. This is a fascinating thing to see, because some of the cards that we've seen remain in a Teferi deck include stuff like Stasis, which prevents people's stuff from untapping, and Back to Basics, which prevents people's stuff from untapping, which Teferi, as that Planeswalker commander with that minus one ability to untap up to four permanents, he can just completely evade. And that's what his page has basically always been built around because of his interactions to go infinite with the Chain Veil and a couple of other mana producing artifacts just by untapping all of those things and the chain veil he can repeatedly use his own abilities over and over and over and over again and it becomes this really crazy combo but when we see the cards that have totally shifted through this deck across the years we're seeing that basically anything that came in the original teferi precon has deleted itself right out of the data no more you know curse of the swine no more sphinx of uthunes or sphinx of magosi instead it is all about this being a dedicated combo commander and we're seeing more stuff like jeweled lotus all up in this page. Well, we're seeing dedicated combo-ish cards, but we're also seeing cards here that really leap out as CEDH style cards way more than we we see in any of these other decks. Um, Chrome Mox got a reprint in Double Masters, but like that's still a heavily used CEDH card way more than anything else. Narsa Parter Avails, um, Thassa's Oracle. Like this is just a a commander that that really seems to have been tweaked in the last two years towards playing at the very competitive end of the spectrum. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might say people really tried to uh, solve the equation, which is another new card <laughs> in the deck. Uh, well but, but like speed is kind of the name of the game, like you said, like mm -hmm. jeweled yep. lotus, and even even cards that you know are dominating sixty card formats, like Mystic Sanctuary, oh, yeah. uh, also finding their way into the Teferi deck. So yeah, the, the the deck just got very very tuned, very lean, and just yeah, there's there's no more room. For those big eight mana sphinxes when like yeah you're, you're casting your jeweled lotuses to combo out as quickly as possible yeah definitely discovered its identity and if you ever play a teferi deck i'm sure it's going to be a great time <laughs> eh? Eh? i think no. it's time to move to the next commander <laughs> okay. to dodge they, any more of those those yeah. those puns yeah and, and they can fix that in post and just put some laughs in there so it'll be fine. <laughs> oh rude rude dana that's that's mean, but you know what? It's also deserved. Tell us about the number one most changed commander now. Let's get to it. What is the commander that experienced the greatest deck evolution over the past two years? The the most evolution we've seen here is from Chromat, another old five-color commander. 283 decks, and we're only seeing 45 cards remain constant in Chromat lists. Um, the, the constants are things like Chromanticore, Birds of Paradise, the really obvious kind of heavily played removal spells like Beast Within, very heavily played ramp spells, things like Cultivate or the Mana Rocks like Felwar Stone. So the things that have stayed steady uh, tend to be the cards that are just really good at doing what they're doing in five color decks. Um, but we're seeing a lot of really specific new cards added to this list. Yeah, the new cards all seem to be very much on theme, and that is they're all mutants or mutate cards. So we're seeing Gem Razor and being able to blow up all those uh, artifacts and enchantments your opponents have, or, or Brokos and Snapdax, all these massive mutate type of targets. Um, Chromat just gives you all the access to all of them, so why not be playing them? Um, and it's also, you know, you can mutate onto Chromat. So not only do you have access for it, you have a good target built into the command zone. Um, so it seems like a lot of people just latched onto, oh, there's a big crazy creature that we can mutate onto. This is the new theme right here. This is so fascinating to see because I remember those days. I'm, I'm having a lot of back in my days in this episode, but I guess I'm going to have to lean into it. I remember the days where Chromat was like a de facto choice for, I have a five color deck that I just want all of the colors for. So I guess I'll use this old commander that is sitting around. I don't even really plan on casting it or using its activated abilities to pump itself up and give itself keywords. I just want five colors. And the landscape of commander has shifted completely in that time. And now it feels like this is a commander that really wants to have a specific solid identity and mutants have provided it that I, I'm just very it, it's so interesting to see that this commander has had a complete shift from basically good stuff into nah mutants well and, and it, it kind of did the exact opposite thing that Teferi just did in the number two slot where Teferi got very lean and very uh, combo heavy kind of a CEDH type of deck where Chromat said I'm gonna do the most casual thing imaginable which is all <laughs> the mutants 
just pile them in there. I don't care if they're eight mana, all these three color legendary mutants, let's do it. Yeah, these are really interesting to see. Some of these commanders have honed themselves, some of them have upgraded themselves, and some of them have changed completely, which, you know what? That actually is kind of perfect as a, a metaphor for this episode when we were talking about evolutions of commanders and mutation is literally an evolution so chromat wins also on the flavor front don't you think matt i i think we'll allow that to happen yeah we'll, we'll, we'll let it go <laughs> well and, and if you ever looked at a chromat card there's almost as many words on the actual chromat card as there is in the mutate rules <laughs> as well so it, it is a logical matchup Oh, dang. That's really, really funny. So there we have our most changed commanders over the past two years. Do we have any final thoughts about these evolutions? Dana, is there anything that has struck you over the course of talking about all of these? Maybe about the number of cards that they retained? Is it higher than you thought, lower than you thought, or the types of upgrades that you might expect to see in the future? What are your parting thoughts here as we talk about evolutions and mutations and stuff like that? What jumped out at me, I think, is the fact that it's it's relatively easy to understand why the decks changed when you looked at the cards that came out and the cards that were added in. But that makes sense very much for each individual commander. There's just not a lot of overlap. Like the reason Chromat changed is very different than the reason Teferi changed, which is different than the reason that Sig changed. Um, that I find fascinating. Like they all had their kind of each individual unique reasons to see so much of a shift. And it's not necessarily overlapping between individual commanders. That is interesting. Matt, what do you think? I mean, when we look at the cards that are getting removed, there are a lot of cards that, like, when I got back into playing Magic back when the original Theros block came out, it, like, there are a lot of cards that were kind of considered staples back then that I found myself cutting from decks over the years as I've kind of tuned and, 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 you know, lowered the CMC in the decks that I have done that in. Um, but it looks like player bases at large are doing that too. Like, Croesus's Charm was a very cool card back in the day, um, but it's maybe not as efficient as it was back then. Um, or people are just like, they're seeing non-bows that were in the decks and, and just kind of going along with it, like Myriad Landscape and those Emrakul decks. Um, mm. So it, I like that even if these decks are changing and getting updated, like some of the cards that people are, are dropping from lists, um, it shows that maybe like deck builders all around it, like we're, we're finding those inefficiencies and we're kind of improving upon those. That is a really good lesson. This is also very much a story of us all growing up together and learning to play Magic and EDH specifically a little bit more tunedly and having a, a better eye for our own growth. And I think that's a really awesome thing to see. There's so many other lessons that we could get into, but this episode might be running a little bit long. So with that, I think what we really ought to do is uh, probably call it to the close before maybe one of us mutates just because we've been talking about evolutions for so long. So fellas, if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all. Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, actually, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast. Um, so make sure you join in, tune in, whatever you got to do. Uh, the guests are always super great. We love having our guests on there. So make sure you watch and usually watch our guests just beat up on us pretty hard. <laughs> and Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on the other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and for Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDH RecCast on both Twitter and Facebook. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. And you can visit Altersleeves.com slash EDHRecCast for cool, custom EDHREC sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDHREC your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>